Patsy the Angry Nerd. I love sharks. Just kidding. I'm not Patsy. <laughs> Fooled you. No, I am the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, and the queen of the monsters. I am Ashes Von Nightmare. You are listening to Throwdown Thursday, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee and part of the Dorkening Network. We are broadcasting live from Magenta Manor. Uh, the Pat Cave at Magenta Manor, to be specific. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, both in life and on the show. He's white. He's nerdy. Weird Al wrote a song about him. He likes sharks. He does stuff. It's Patsy the Angry Nerd. And I don't know where my voice is because I lost it over the last few days. So that's why you're hosting. This is why I'm hosting. Plus, I need to host more because I feel like the people, I need to give the people what they want. Also, we're on episode 174. Oh, yeah, we're on episode. You can tell I don't do this often. Uh, The wine is already flowing. It's been a rough day at work. It is a Thursday. Well, technically, it's a Tuesday, but it's Thursday. Um, We are on episode 174, and we have a really crazy, awesome show planned for you today. We have the coolest guest on our show. He is broke. He is a horror fan. He runs a website called Broke Horror Fan. It is Alex DiVincenzo. Yay! Yay! Thanks for having me back, guys. (laughs) You should do like the Muppet arms, like, yay! (laughs) Oh, I was doing that. (laughs) I can can picture that. I've seen that. (laughs) So we were talking a little bit off air about how you are pretty much the king of October this year. You have been doing some crazy things, both just you and your gorgeous, gorgeous lady friend and stuff along with Broke Horror Fan. So do you mind kind of telling us what you've been up to and what you're doing and and some of the stuff that you've released and some of the stuff that you have coming up? Oh boy, I would love to. Currently, I am planning to get King of Halloween put on my tombstone now that you said that. Yes, yes, Uh, you are are, are (laughs) killing. If October was a sport, you would be winning. You would be. Uh, like, that's you the are, first you sport I never win. <laughs> you are winning so hard on October right now, <laughs> like it's amazing. Uh, no, it really has been pro- like one of the one of the most fun and also most stressful uh, months of my life. But I can't complain because like it's just super busy. But all of the stuff is so exciting. Uh, it's hard to care. Um, so the month kicked off with an evening, or it was called, it was built in the evening. It was actually an early morning uh, with Kathy and Jimmy in Salem. Uh, she of Hocus Pocus fame. So we did, uh, I shouldn't say, I wasn't involved in the planning of it, but I got to host the panels with her uh, two days in a row in Salem. She had never been to Salem before because they filmed all her parts in, on, in a soundstage. So that was exciting. Oh, wow. Oh, I feel like she would have at least made a trip at some point to Salem to see some of the spots where Hocus Pocus was filmed. You would think, but no. The kids were there for filming during the original production. Um but she had not been so. Oh, but she wow. was like, she was uh, apprehensive to go out, uh, and I don't blame her because Salem is crazy in October, especially with Hocus Pocus fans. Right, there's probably so many different Sanderson sisters running around. Like <laughs> she wouldn't know if it was her or. <laughs> exactly, I said she'd probably just get mistaken for like a really good cosplayer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was really cool, and I guess I mean don't quote me on this because it's again I'm not involved in the planning, but they're aiming to make it uh, an annual thing. It's at the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem. Oh, shut uh, up! There was there was a screening, then a Q and A, then a meet and greet, um, and I think they're trying to aim for a few more guests from the film next year. So we'll see how that pans out. That would be incredible. 
incredible, especially if they could get all three Sanderson sisters to come to Salem. I think that is a crazy long shot, but it would also be the greatest thing in the world. Right? I don't think Salem's ready for anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) You could get that Uh, dog from the movie. You can get the what? The dog from that movie. Oh, yeah. Sarah Jessica Barker. Oh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, do you mean cat? But no, I see what you did there. Um, And then we had Rock and Shock, which I know you guys have talked about and that was super fun. Uh, it was my first year as a vendor with the Broke Horror Fan booth slinging our VHS tapes. Um, it was fun to meet some people who had, uh, you know, customers who have purchased our tapes in the past. And it was like, a few people that brought theirs to get signed by guests, which was really humbling. Um, and then this past weekend, I went down to Burkittsville, Maryland to explore the filming locations for the Blair Witch Project. Um, they did a... It's the 20th anniversary of the film this year, so they did like a special screening on Friday with a bunch of the cast and crew, including one of the directors and one of the stars. Um, and then on Saturday and Sunday, you could stay over in, in the woods where they shot, or at least very close to where they shot. Um, and then there was like a guided tour of the filming locations. And it was really cool uh, because this was such a big big year. Um, I, they do these tours um, annually for the last, I think he said, seven years. But because this is the big anniversary, there was like 60 people on the tour this year. So it was huge, but it was awesome. Wow. Um, they brought out some original props. I touched a stick man that was in the movie 20 years ago. It was awesome. So October has been crazy. Oh, and today, as of recording, um, we just released a new VHS, Satanic Panic, Chelsea Stardust's horror comedy, which was produced by Fangoria. Um, and it sold out today also. So if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. But... It's the first uh, in what we hope to be an ongoing partnership with Fangoria to release some of their movies on VHS. That's uh, and you can learn more about that on BrokeHorrorFan.com. Yeah, that's that's amazing. You guys do such great work with these VHS tapes. We um, actually at Rock and Shock purchased Survival of the Film Freaks on VHS. I mean, obviously we did the Kickstarter and stuff and have the like dvd blu-ray copy but there's something about having certain films on vhs i mean i don't know if it's the time period we grew up in or you know just how we watch films or whatever there's just something like a nice nostalgic quality about having certain films on vhs yeah thank you guys for picking it up and I, i do think i mean yeah i think nostalgia plays a big part in it uh, but I, I think some there's some of the movies we put out, which I mean, they're they're all fun. But I think some of them actually play better on VHS because they're you know they evoke the '80s style so much, and it's been really cool to see other people you know kind of appreciate what we do. Oh, completely agree. And like I said, the packaging and stuff is just it's gorgeous. It's it's so well done, and it really looks like it reminds me of going with my parents to the local you know film rental place uh video this... store video store yeah see i'm so far it's removed so from long. it at this it's... point it's just like a of a, a, a memory it's like a library just like a vapid memory in, in in the distance <laughs> of my mind um yeah a video rental store because uh, i grew up uh for the most part in a small town so we didn't have like blockbuster or anything it was like the independently owned video rental places and that's kind of like it gives me that feeling you know of, of, of going back and renting all of these films and 
exactly what we're going for. I think a film like Survival of the Film Freaks definitely lends itself well to a VHS version because of the subject material. Like, it's all about cult films. So if you can get a VHS version, because I would say, I don't know, 90 to 95% of the films that they feature in this documentary, you can't get on Blu-ray or or DVD. Like, you have to track down a a VHS copy or, you know, a 35 millimeter print. So I think this would uh, lend itself really well, especially to that subject matter. Right. That, that was it. That was exactly our thought process behind it. We figured um, because, I mean, the subject of the documentary for people who don't know is kind of how, how cult films have, have changed over the years and how the consumption of them has, have changed as, you know, formats uh, become increasingly higher definition and now digital um, so it, it, we thought it made a lot of sense on VHS and obviously Kyle and Bill are friends of all of ours and they've been so fun to work with. Yeah, they're really good dudes. I like those guys a lot. So speaking of cult films, the character that we're talking about today definitely kind of has like a cult horror following and has become a very well-known franchise. We, of course, are talking about Jason Voorhees. From the Friday the 13th franchise. Oh, that is not how he pronounces his name. According to his mother, it's Voorhees. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, <laughs> it, it depends on, on where you're from. She says Voorhees. But saying Jason Voorhees just doesn't, it just doesn't sound right to me. You know, I'm not going to sit there and mansplain to her how her name is, is pronounced. If she says Voorhees... That's what it is. I mean, Betsy Palmer kind of had a bit of an accent, though. So What kind of accent? And you were the last person to talk to about anybody's accent. What? I'm I'm worldly, okay? Oh, worldly. <laughs> worldly. Otherworldly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, we are talking about Jason Voorhees or Voorhees or, you know, the guy with the hockey mask with the, the machete Dutch, who the does Dutch the things. Yes. <laughs> so we're getting into character question for today, kind of piggybacking on that a little bit, is if you could be brutally killed in any horror franchise, which one would you choose and why? So, Alex, you want to take this one first or you want a minute to think about it? Oh, no. This is an easy one for me. Uh, I would definitely say Michael Myers in a Halloween film. Uh, Halloween's my all-time favorite film. Uh, I would love to be associated with that franchise in any way possible, uh, especially if it means getting killed in one. Um, I just think... I love like you know the big three, Freddy, Jason, and Michael, but something about that original Halloween just has always spoken to me. That's fair. Now, would you would you want to be like you know pinned up against the wall with a magic knife? Uh, <laughs> I will say, I mean, as much as I love the original Halloween, it has its faults, and that knife uh, scene does not make sense. But it's uh, <laughs> a cool shot, though. Exactly, exactly. It's it's a little little style over substance, maybe. Uh, but Brett, Michael's not a particular, well, unless you talk about like the Rob Zombie ones or maybe the new, the 2018 version, but he's not a particularly brutal killer. I guess he got gorier in the sequels, but, um, you know, in, in the original, he's, it's relatively bloodless. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, that's, that's, I mean, he does eat a dog though. That's a little, <laughs> like, that's a, that's a little over the line. Like even Freddie's like, whoa, dude, like, you need to relax. <laughs> Ashes, do you want to go or do you want me to go? You can go ahead. Well, I have um see for me it's a, it's a toss up. Like obviously 
if they were to bring out another Jaws film, uh, I would want to get eaten by a shark. Like, that's that's one. You wouldn't want to be the shark? Well, no. I. How am I going to be the shark? Like, just walk around. CGI! Like, like, uh, like Chevy Chase. <laughs> Land shark. Um, <laughs> or um, I wouldn't mind going out like uh, Frank in Hellraiser. Just like this explodey death scene <laughs> like that would be a cool scene to be a part of but uh failing that uh i'd want to go out in a blaze of glory against like a, a swarm of zombies although i've said it before and uh i don't like the the term herd that they use on uh on on walking dead i think the better name and alex you can tell me what you think because you're a, you're a big horror guy as well i think it should be called a shuffle of zombies <laughs> uh, I can get behind that. Let's let's start using that and see if it catches on. I like it. I've I've tried. I've I've mentioned it on the show a few times, but it's been a while. Uh, Ashes, what about you? What do you? What would you want to do? Uh, so I've been a Friday the Thirteenth fan for a very long time, and I'm. This might sound a, a little a little odd, but. Um, I've always been kind of attracted to the character. I think there's a, a, a very attractive quality to the menacing, hulking, mask-wearing, machete-wielding Jason Voorhees uh, that you see on screen. Obviously, not not so much unmasked, like, no thank you, but, but with the mask on, um, definitely an attractive quality. And I would love, like, it, it, and this has been on my bucket list for years, I would absolutely love to be just horrifically brutally murdered in a horror film and if if I could if I could be brutally murdered by the hands of Jason Voorhees that would just rock my socks off so much that's fair I've known like that and, and probably like go out and kind of like a, a classic you know him using the machete you know we'll talk about some of his more iconic machete-less kills later. Uh, but I think I'd want to go, you know, just, just the classic machete, maybe decapitation or, or, or like kind of like slicing me in my stomach and then all my guts fall out or something. But yeah, I, I, I feel like I would probably be one of the first to go to <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just saying I'm not really a runner. I'm kind of slutty and all, everyone knows the, the slutty ones always die. So, you know, which means I would get taken out with you. Oh, it could be like with the like the double murder. There's the spear. <laughs> Mid sex. Ah, <laughs> yeah. That's the spirit. Oh. Uh. <laughs> so, on that note, I think we're gonna head to our first break. But don't you go anywhere, because we will be right back with some Jason Voorhees. Yes. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, 
where myself and usually a very special guest sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kitties. You're all a scream. <laughs> Saturday, November 9th at 6 p.m. at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, Massachusetts. It's the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Halloween may be over, but we live the horror life all year long. BMG events, in cooperation with It Came From The 508 Productions, is bringing you this unique event featuring filmmakers, actors, vendors, podcasters, and more, including the world premiere of the second film in the Ties That Bind series, The Box. Tickets are $10 and available at the door or through the event page. Follow BMG Events. It came from the 508 and Throwdown Thursday podcast on Facebook for all the latest updates. The Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Missing out would be a grave mistake. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. And we're back. Thanks for sticking around, kids. So today we are talking about Jason Voorhees, or Voorhees, or however you like to say it. Uh, the guy with the hockey mask who does the thing with the machete, kills Tukarask. people. No. <laughs> Tukarask. No. <laughs> no. no, that's the other guy with the hockey mask who does the thing. Um, but anyways... Kind of want to start by talking about your first experience with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, or Jason Voorhees. If you have any fun stories to tell, what about you, Patsy? Well, for me, um, I used to go up and visit uh, cousins in Maine when I was younger. <clears throat> and uh, how far up in Maine? Like up Gorham, Maine, wherever that is. Okay. I never hung out with Stephen King. I didn't really know who he was at that point because I was like, you know, nine, ten years old, and. Um, I was watching TV because these were older cousins, like they were they were adults at the time. But uh, I would go up, I would just stay with them for a week with uh, <coughs> with uh, my aunt, and we would just go and like they had uh, huge like three acres of land, and like so I had other younger cousins that would come over, and like that I would never see them except for this one week each year, and uh, so we you know would just hang out, and if it rained. I'd end up watching TV, and so one day I was watching TV, and I was just flipping through, and I came across one of the Friday the 13th films, and I didn't know which one it was at the time, but I saw Jason, like, chasing somebody out of a, you know, up and down stairs, and, you know, was, I was like, oh, this is interesting, and it turns out I went to the guide and found out that they were on all day. I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. So every time there was a commercial on Nickelodeon, because I was watching, like, uh, who was the the the? It was Count Ducula I watched and uh, Danger Mouse and who is the uh, the puppet with the Eureka Eureka's, Eureka's Castle? Oh, Eureka's Castle! Yes, I couldn't oh, remember her name. That was the best. 
And every time there was a commercial, I would flip. And one of the first kills I remember seeing the kid, I think it was the second one, where he gets the uh, machete to the face, and he's the kid in the wheelchair, and he rolls all oh, the way yeah, down. Oh, yeah, that's part two. Yeah. Rolls all the way down all the stairs. See, that's what I love about Jason Voorhees. He's an equal opportunity murderer. Right, like, he, doesn't he doesn't sit there and who pity you, are. you and, and <laughs> you know, feel sorry for you. He'll drive an axe through your face no matter who you are. What about you, Alex? Um... I, I I have a pretty pretty good introduction. Well, for, my actual first introduction is uh, is a weird one. I'll tell you that first. Um, growing up, you know, you play with the kids in your neighborhood. Um, there was a girl down the street who was, I think, maybe four years older than me. And one year, I went over and she had rented "Jason Goes to Hell," which is probably like a new release at the time, or at least it was definitely the most recent entry at the time. Um, and I remember she was watching it, and she, she like wanted to show me Jason kill someone. Now I, I was probably. I don't know, ballpark guess like seven, eight at the time. Um, but what I remember, which is weird, is um, it was early, early in Jason Goes to Hell, which I didn't know which movie it was till way later when I revisited the series. But like a girl goes off to like pee in the woods and she like fast forwarded over that. She's like, no, we can't watch that. And then like we saw him get killed. Uh, so that was a weird introduction. <laughs> It's confusing, uh, and that confusion continues to this day. But then, when I was uh, when I was, I would have been fourteen, I think, when Freddy vs. Jason came out. Um, like I had known through pop culture osmosis who Freddy and Jason were, obviously, but I had never seen any of the movies until that point. Um, so it came out. It looked like exciting. It looked cool. I wanted to see it. It had a lot of bands that I liked on the soundtrack, and I think that was a, a big factor. Um, so I wanted to see the movies that came before it, but like, I didn't have time to watch the combined 17 movies of Freddie and Jason prior to seeing it. So I was like, you know what? I'll just watch the first Friday 13th and the first time on Elm Street and I'll get the gist. I'll have, I'll see it. I'll <laughs> see enough to, to figure it out. And then little did I know, of course, Jason isn't the killer in the first one. So I was so confused. Uh, but still went into Freddie versus Jason and loved it. Cause I feel like that movie is tailor made for a 14 year old kid. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then went back and revisited them all. I got a lot more context. Um, and now, you know, now I love them all. Yeah, I think my, I'm trying to remember exactly. It wasn't like an aha moment that really sticks out. But I think my first time watching these films were on cable TV during the Halloween season. So obviously it was edited for TV. So you don't get the full effect and the full gore and all the boobs, you know, uh, just, just, just safe for TV boobs. Um, but I remember being young enough to not, I, I, I shouldn't have been watching it, but I was, and I was so intrigued by everything. Uh, it was definitely not my first horror film, but it's definitely the first one that I felt really drawn to that I really gravitated to when I definitely was drawn to Jason Voorhees as as a slasher villain. Uh, there's just something so magnanimous about him. And like I said, especially when he becomes Jason with the hockey mask, I just, I don't know why I think that's so sexy. Him just like going through the woods, just, just he doesn't say anything. He just has a machete and kills people. And I'm just like, yeah, that's hot. <laughs> But I I don't exactly know what it is about it. Uh, I just feel really drawn to this franchise as a whole. Uh, not all the films are, are winners. 
and I, I not all the kills are as great as others, but I it was I don't know I, I can't really explain it. It's just one of those inexplicable things. Like maybe it's the fact that he's running around in a hockey mask that I like so much. I don't know, but I remember just always being a fan of Friday. When people would be like, "Oh, you know what's your favorite horror movie?" I'd be like, "Friday the Thirteenth," and they're like, "Why? Like, how have you seen that?" Like, you know. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of like one of those under. I've always been a fan. I've always watched them and obviously continue to watch them. I remember the remake and I actually loved the remake with Derek Mears. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really Yeah, I like that a lot too. Yeah. And it followed a lot of the, you know, the tropes that the Friday the 13th franchise had set out. Like they were. uh, Like it took little bits from a lot of the movies. Right. Right. Well, I mean, like Michael Myers is kind of the first like slasher villain in a sense. I mean, I know we talked about Norman Bates last week, and he t- kind of sort of is the first slasher villain, but uh, Michael Myers was definitely the first slasher villain of this kind. Like supernatural. Right. Uh, but Friday the 13th is a franchise that really created all of these tropes that are still followed, in, in my opinion anyways, um, created the tropes that are still followed. And I remember going to see the remake of Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th. It was came out Friday, February 13th, 2009. And I know this because myself and two of my other girlfriends, we single and dateless for Valentine's Day. So we were like, oh, let's go see a slasher movie instead. So we went to see Friday the 13th. So that's my Friday the 13th story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think to to your point about like you know what what attracts people to Friday Thirteenth in particular, um, at least I can say in my opinion, like I love like I said, Halloween's my favorite movie. I love the original Nightmare and several of the sequels. But the thing about the Friday Thirteenth franchise is it's I think it's the most consistent of like the major franchises in that none of the movies are like mind blowing or like really change up the formula or anything. But even like the bad ones are still super fun. Whereas like I, I like watching Freddy's Dead or like Halloween five. I mean, yeah, there's like bits of fun in, in either of those movies, but not like I feel like Friday Thirteen is more like like a comfort food movie, I guess. You can put on any of them at any time and, and if you're into that kind of thing, get a kick out of it. Right. Like it doesn't you don't really have to concern yourself with the story because right there's not a lot of mythology to to remember or to worry about right and you know there's not really no recurring characters except for Alice Adrian King from the first one into the second one but she doesn't last long in the second one um we got uh Tommy Jarvis in the the middle movies yeah, um, but aside from that, you really don't have any recurring characters aside from Jason Voorhees himself. Yeah, and Ralph for a couple movies. But what I'm saying though is like there, it's, it, there's no like <laughs> staple character. Like, there's no like I need to watch this right, film. It's not. Laurie I don't need Strode. to watch it in order in right. order to understand the story. It's not that's Laurie happening. Strode. It's not Heather Langenkamp. Right. It's right. Not Kirsty Cotton. You know, yeah. um, I'm forgetting her name but like you know amy Steele is a you know there, there are different final girls for different films but you don't really concern yourself with that like for me watching friday the 13th is different from watching halloween or nightmare on elm street because you know i'm watching halloween and i'm rooting for laurie strode i want her to make it i want her to you know i'm like go jamie lee um but you know i'm watching friday the 13th and i'm rooting for jason <laughs> You know, and I'm rooting for him to get creative with his kills, which he does. And I'm rooting for him to just feed me some 
unadulterated gore and right. you know it, i'm just i just i'm watching it more or less to just see people get massacred versus watching it for uh an authentic storyline or for you know something deep and meaningful like i just you know especially if i'm in a bad mood these are the types of films that i would put on because i could just you know live vicariously through jason Voorhees. time machete. to start chopping bitches yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and jason is also unlike Freddie or, or Michael or really a, a lot of the slasher icons, but like many of the best, like the classic Universal monsters, um, he's like a sympathetic character in in a way. Oh, absolutely. Especially given his backstory, which is pretty much all you really need to know about this character is his backstory. And you learn that within the first film. And then it kind of obviously carries throughout the other films as to why Jason is the way he is and why he kills the people that he kills. Because he doesn't just kill anybody and everybody because he doesn't kill animals and he doesn't kill children. I think he would if he got the chance. He was trying like hell in some of these. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that I, I like to believe he has a little bit of a moral code. Like no. he still there, has... there is a there is a scene in part six where he like bursts in on all the camper. It's like the, I think it's one of the only ones that actually has kids at the camp. Um, he like bursts in on them in their cabin, and they're all like hiding under the bed or whatever. But he sees them, and then he just walks away. So I do think he has somewhat of a moral... Maybe he identifies with them, because I'm sure in his mind he still sees himself as the child who drowned in Crystal Lake or whatever. Especially right. if you watch that scene in uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Right, yes, exactly. Where we actually see you know, a little bit more into what happened to him. Now, I have a, a theory that I want to... Unless you have something. No, go ahead. I was just going to kind of go into the actual backstory of Jason. but So this will kind of play into okay. it a little bit. I was watching... You know, we just rewatched. Actually, some of these were first time for me because I haven't seen all of them. And the ones that I have seen, I haven't seen in their entirety. So a lot of this is like, you know, brand new to me. And it's essentially a first time watch. But rewatching the first five or so, uh, I came to the conclusion that, you know, where Jason is this supernatural entity and like no matter what, he's always coming back. You know, <clears throat> I'm thinking that, you know, because we saw him at the end of the first film, I think that Jason's spirit is like a uh, it like possesses people. And you see that with some of the dialogue from uh, Pamela Voorhees when she's talking, you know, basically as Jason, like, kill her, mommy, kill her, you know, kill them all. Like, And then we see in part five when, I forget the guy's name now, but he dresses up as Jason and goes around and kills a bunch of people. Roy. In, yeah. yeah, Roy. I was going to call him, like, Rod or Ray or something. I was, I was in the ballpark. <laughs> and he goes and kills people as Jason, but he also takes a lot of damage that should normally kill just some guy. I mean, for Christ's sake, he gets hit with a goddamn bulldozer and, like, keeps going. He's a paramedic. He knows how to deal with those injuries. <laughs> yeah, but he, roll. he didn't exactly, like, suture himself up or anything, <laughs> but, like, he kept going after that. So, you know, it's almost like um, like the Venom symbiote. It finds a, a, a sympathetic host, so, like, it latched onto him until it no longer needed him, and then... Once he died, Jason's spirit just goes away again. So kind of like Jason's spirit is in purgatory because he has all of this unfinished business. And if 
he can no longer possess his own body. Like he if looks, he's too damaged or something. Right. Or, you know, dead, quote unquote, dead for the time being. Right. And too damaged. He hasn't right. been able to regenerate and recover. Right. You know, he finds a host body to pretty much do his bidding for him that he can, you know, somebody weak enough or with similar. So like with the first one with his mother, like she was sympathetic and it would have been easy to possess her because of her similar mindset and, you know, piggybacking onto her grief left her vulnerable. (laughs) And with uh, Roy, he had just lost his son in a very choppy manner. (laughs) But I think that maybe Jason possessed the kid at the beginning who killed him and then leapt into Roy from there because Roy had a lot, you know, this kid was going to go get incarcerated. So now Roy's got free reign. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird theory I came up with. And, you know, I'm sure there's stuff that debunks it in the, in the later films, but I didn't have a chance to rewatch everything. Um, no, well, I, you, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, when you get to Jason goes to hell, the ninth one, it kind of actually plays into that theory. Um, it's Jason basically like kind of body hops from people who are not just, you know, the hockey mask wearing deformed guy. Um, so I'll be interested to hear how that theory develops uh, over the course of your rewatch. Yeah, I'll have to finish watching them and then, uh, you know, expand upon this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just going to say there's actually something to that theory. And I was going to mention the, the ninth one, which isn't the greatest one of the franchise, but it still has some pretty valuable points. Um, oh, I thought you were, you were grabbing your microphone. I thought you were going to say something. No, I was just making sure my mic was on. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's also late now. <laughs> Oops. Can you hear me now? Um, it's also believed that the, like the that you hear is actually Jason asking for a Chia pet for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> It's Jason inside of Mrs. Vori's head saying, kill, mom. Like, kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. Like, kill for me, mom. And that just kind of became the, like, signature sound music, if you will. Because there really isn't much music in these films to begin with. So it kind of became, like, the signature sound for Jason is coming throughout the rest of the films. But... It's believed that that's what uh, that's what that sound is. It's Jason inside of Mrs. Vori's head. So again, it kind of lends into your theory, you know, because you hear that throughout every single movie, right? Or at least the first five that we watched. No, it's it's you know <laughs> it's, it's in all of it's them. In all of them. Uh, becomes a staple so so yeah that actually plays uh, that that really plays into your theory quite well. Um, nice. Going into uh, yeah, good, good job, <laughs> sweetie. Congratulations. Um, so going into a little bit of Jason's backstory, he's uh, and and how you said Alex, he's a sympathetic character. Uh, he really is a sympathetic character, and you kind of really rally behind him almost and understand why he's doing what he does and why he kills the people that he kills because you know he drowned in a lake being unsupervised by these camp counselors who were off getting busy, you know, not paying attention to him. And he wasn't a good swimmer and everyone knew this and they just kind of left him to his own devices and, you know, him being a, a mama's boy and stuff. Um, you know, he was bullied by the other campers and what are you going to say, Patsy? Well, <clears throat> we see different versions of this <clears throat> throughout the films. 
Well, and there's and also think... a comic book series too that kind of gives you a well, slightly the, different backstory. The the sensationalized version, I think, is what we see in Freddy versus Jason, where it's basically just like an orgy, and all the kids are like Duncan Jason underwater. But the way she describes it in the first one is like, oh, he was out swimming, and somebody should have been watching him, and nobody was watching him. It's like, bitch, you're his mother. Where were you? Well, she was working. <laughs> she was working to put food on the table, literally, because she was literally. the cook at the camp. <laughs> well. He should have had his floaties, and she didn't make sure that he had his floaties. He didn't. He was not wearing his water wings. No, no was he was not. not. Um, but it just it makes him this sympathetic character because I'm sure a lot of us, you know, were bullied growing up and stuff. So it kind of, you know, you justifies what he's doing and you know murdering. I, I mean, granted, some of these people don't deserve to be murdered because they are not the ones who you know, left Jason swimming unattended, but some of these characters are just assholes and well, completely deserve. Well, he doesn't deserve. know. He didn't ask for IDs. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Are you an asshole? And if you asked them, if, if you were like, hey, are you the guy who let me drown? No, I think you're lying. Stab. Ooh. <laughs> Harpoon through the goo. But there's something about his backstory that I think hits home to a lot of people and is simple. Like it's it's a simple backstory and, you know, they establish it and then they move on from it. So Jason Voorhees himself, the maniacal killer, slasher villain, is not a very complex creature. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't have any smart one liners like Freddy from, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street does. He, he he doesn't say anything at all. He's 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 the silent but deadly type, if you will. Um, and I kind of, I kind of like that because there's no unnecessary dialogue. It's just boom, you're dead, hooray! <laughs> the shark from Jaws doesn't say much either. Well, there's uh, a... he roars in Jaws. Jaws <laughs> I was gonna say there's a yeah. there's a language barrier though, so he, he uses a Finn language. But one of the things I love about <laughs> these Finnish, he speaks Finnish. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> One of the things I love about these films are their death scenes. There are some great kill sequences in all of these films. And I was wondering, I kind of want to throw it out there to the both of you. I know what my favorite is, but do you guys have a favorite Jason kill? Well, Alex, you want to go first? Sure. Um, my favorite is in what's probably my least favorite of the franchise, which is Jason X, which is like a fun movie, but not a very good Friday the 13th movie, if that makes sense. Uh, no, however, the, the kill at the opening, it's the a woman, he cryogenically freezes a woman's face and then smashes it on a table and it yes. just like explodes in a million pieces. Uh, and it's a really cool effect. Yeah, I really like that one. And I don't want to go with you know, what I said earlier, and I don't want to go with what Kane Hodder said was his favorite kill. So uh, I'm actually going to go with what wasn't a real kill. I'm actually also going to go with uh, Jason X when he's in the holographic simulator. And uh, like there's the two topless girls that are like, oh, we're going to go have premarital sex. We love premarital sex. And like... (laughs) Like, I remember, I think he stabs one of them with the machete and then, like, puts the other one in a sleeping bag and just repeatedly wallops her against a tree. And she's just, like, yelling as he's bashing her against the tree. And, like, they're doing that to distract him while they're trying to, like, 
come up with some kind of plan or something to like blow him into space. I don't know. I've only seen a couple of scenes from that movie. <laughs> but that's a good one. And obviously the one I said before with the dude in the wheelchair who gets the machete to the face and then rolls all the way down the stairs backwards. It's like it's a high quality wheelchair. So you've only seen bits and pieces of Jason X then. Well, that's how it is with the majority of this franchise. So are you familiar with Uber Jason? Yeah, when he like gets all like the jacked up yeah. and He's stuff. Like Terminator Jason. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's uh Steroid Jason. It's, it's fun. It's it's a thing that happens. Um <laughs> I think it's 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 fun. I mean, you know, after ten films, it's kind of fun to see, you know, what they what else they do with the characters. So, creating Uber Jason, it's you know, it's kind of a fun thing that they do. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Jason X is a movie that happened. Um, there are some really good parts to it, though. It is entertaining, and the yeah, the liquid nitrogen death scene is definitely one of the more creative death scenes that I've seen. Um, it's just, yeah, she, her, her face is frozen within seconds because that's the nature of liquid nitrogen. And then for him to be like, well, that's not enough, smashes her face into the, the counter or, you know, the, the desk that was there. And then it just smashes into a bajillion pieces. It's just, oh, it's such a satisfying kill to watch. Um, I also love... I think my favorite is Kane Hodder's favorite kill scene, which is the sleeping bag scene from, I think it's the seventh film where he just, she's, uh, he, he enters a tent and she is trying to hide. So she crouches down deeper in her sleeping bag because, wow, he can't see me in here, even though he already saw me in the sleeping bag. But, you know, <laughs> if I pull the covers over my head, if I can't see him, he can't see him. Right. That's it's, it's like the that's monster, flawless logic. Right. It's like the monster under the bed logic. Like if, if, if I can't <laughs> see it, it can't see me. Um and then proceeds to grab the sleeping bag and thrust the sleeping bag very hard up against a tree and just completely kills her. Now, that scene was actually, he was supposed to do that several times. Like he was supposed to just keep hitting her up against the tree until she dies. But apparently the, the MPAA was on the producers and the director a lot during this entire franchise to cut back the gore, which is why the second one isn't as gory as the first one. And, um, but I feel like for that scene, for that kill, it's really effective because it shows just the blunt strength that Jason Voorhees yeah, has. Brute strength. Just one right? shot. He's just, just one against. shot. And she just crumbles. I also really like the sleeping bag homage kill scene in the remake when and and typically Jason Voorhees isn't one for the slow kill, but this is kind of like a a, a build up kill. He takes the girl, strings her above the campfire in her sleeping bag, mm-hmm. so she's slowly being burned to death. And then her boyfriend, or I don't know if it was exactly her boyfriend, but the, the guy she was, was fucking previously, her. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, sees her and tries to go save her and then gets his foot caught in a bear trap. So obviously he can't save her and just watches her slowly burn to death as he like bleeds to death from the bear trap. It's just, it's a beautifully done scene. I think it's, it's just a, it's probably one of my favorite kill scenes of the entire franchise. Now that was uh, 
the sleeping bag kill was Kane Hodder's favorite up until we talked about this on Victor Crowley when yes. he ripped the lady's head in half. Yeah. Yeah. He liked doing things that were kind of outside of the character norm. So obviously, you know, Victor Crowley used a hatchet for the most part, but, you know, being oh, able to... Oh, that's why that movie's called that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know? <laughs> oh, this is such a treat for you. Um, you know, ripping somebody's head apart with your bare hands that's just that's so cool that's so satisfying and you know for him being able to you know beat a girl you know in a sleeping bag up against a tree to kill her like that's just that's really cool and that hadn't been done before i don't think so so uh it's hard coming up with unique uh kills in horror films well yeah especially now because it's kind of uh, everything's been done for the most part yeah, but people still keep coming up with, I mean, Jigsaw, I mean, that, that whole Saw franchise was interesting. And there have been some good ones uh, the last few years. you got to start using different tools that people normally wouldn't think, like a melon baller or a citrus zester. Oh, and that's another great one in the Friday the 13th franchise. I think it was the, was it the the one with Crispin Glover? Four. The th- part the four. Yes, part four. Uh, I think that one may be one of my favorite films of the franchise the, the fourth one um, but the kill scene where he's going into the kitchen he's looking for the corkscrew and he finds it's, it well yes he does find <laughs> it, it. Finds him. he's like anybody see the corkscrew and then jason is there and does the corkscrew through his hand and and that's obviously not enough he gets a machete to the face as well and, and it's then just, he gets hung up outside the door Oh, but it's just, oh, it's so well done. I just want to touch on something from that that movie where the girl's running around trying to get out of the house and she goes to the front door and there's a dead girl on the ground. Nothing else, just dead girl on the ground. Runs to the back door and there's Crispin Glover literally like pinned. He's just hanging out. Blocking her exit. That I get. Okay, I don't want to go through this way. I can't go through this way. Because there's a guy nailed to the door frame. <laughs> or can she? But what was what was stopping her from leaving the front door? <laughs> like, I don't get you. It's like, oh, no, I can't go this way because there's someone on the ground. Like, if it was a log, you would have just stepped over it. You could have done the <laughs> same thing. But instead, she runs back up, then has to break the window with a chair. It's like, what the hell are you doing? It's just, it's just horror movie logic. But, like, no, I've never seen anyone like, oh... I can't leave out this open door because there's a dead guy on the ground outside that I could easily walk around or step over. That just bugged me. For, like, that made no sense. If she was nailed up like the uh, the first guy. Now, Jason's very handy, which is good because he wrecks a lot of shit. But, like, <laughs> think about how quickly he was able to, like, kill these guys and how quiet he was nailing somebody up to the, the door frame. He would, he would definitely win the quiet game. Like, hands he down. Used, he and he's not using like a little hammer and nails. Like the, those are like railroad spikes. Like where did he find a hammer and railroad spikes? Those people had a hard time finding a screwdriver earlier in that movie. He's just he's resourceful. Like I don't see him wearing a tool belt. He actually does have kind of a tool belt in like I forget six or seven. Yeah, but that was yeah. not in the one. <laughs> yeah. not in this one. No, not no. He's fucking Tim Allen from from Home Improvement, just like carrying around <laughs> shit. He's like, hi, I'm Jason Voorhees, and today on This Old House, we'll be stringing up teenagers instead of kids. 
But I do kind of want to talk about the effects for a hot minute. Um, because Tom Savini did a lot of the makeup and the prosthetics and the special effects for some of these films. And I think my favorite effect is in the fourth film when Cor- young Corey Feldman's Tommy kills Jason Voorhees with his machete. And you see jason's head like slide like obviously unmasked at this point slide down the machete that's probably one of my favorite kills but it's it's not obviously not a jason Voorhees kill it's it's a it's a Corey feldman kill um (laughs) (laughs) who knew jason did die so technically it's a jason Voorhees kill well it's it's yeah jason Voorhees was killed for the first time the second time second time if you count as drowning yeah yeah but no, I almost brought that up when we talked about first kill because that that is uh, definitely I think it's one of the best like practical effects of the eighties, and I don't think it's it quite talked about as much as something like you know the thing, which is I mean is obviously filled with amazing practical effects. Um, but yeah, I mean Savini did the first one, and then instead of doing part two, he did the burning, which is kind of like a rip off of Friday Thirteenth, but it has its own merits. Uh, but then they they lured him back in the fourth one by saying, like, all right, this is the last one. We're going to kill off Jason, and we want, you know, you created him. We want you to kill him. Obviously, it wasn't really the final chapter, but, like, that that death is so good. Like, that would have been a satisfying ending. Oh, you wow. could watch the first four movies as their own little quadrilogy and never see anything else and, like, have a really cool bookended story. I, I kind of wish the fifth one hadn't happened. The only redeeming part of the fifth one is the guy from Return of the Living Dead and the enchiladas scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the porta potty duet. Yes. 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 Um, but yeah, it would have been a really satisfying ending to the franchise. I mean, ultimately, we did get some other decent films out of it, so I don't hate it so much, but uh, it is a really satisfying kill and I mean, uh, it, it, kind of going back to the first one, Tom Savini's special effects. I mean, it's just so much blood and it's just, oh, it's so satisfying. Like Kevin Bacon's uh, death where he just kind of gets the spear through the throat. Arrow. The arrow. Yeah, arrow. It was something, the pointy end. Well, you, you wouldn't be able to fit <laughs> They stuck a spear. him with the pointy end. You wouldn't be able to fit a spear underneath that bed. Well, I, did, I okay. <laughs> but anyways, like he gets something pointy through the throat and just starts like spewing blood from you know the, the, they the do a lot of from and... from beneath yeah. kills in this franchise um but it's just it's so well done and i feel like the the even the creation of of jason like tom savini is is partially responsible for why jason looks the way that he is and I think that he doesn't get enough credit for it. This deformed being that, you know, especially young Jason into older Jason, um, you know, because I think I, I read somewhere initially he wasn't going to be deformed. Like they were just going to have him be like a kid. And Tom Savini was like, well, let me see what I can do about that. And, you know, created the the Jason prosthetic that you see in the first film uh, coming out of the water taking adrian king and then obviously the unmasked jason that you see in the uh in the fourth one so that's a thing that happened <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's interesting when you watch small back to back because like if you're paying attention to the timeline two three and four all take place back to back like it's like friday right. 13th and the te- second then part three is technically saturday the 14th and the fourth one's technically saturday the 15th 
Um, but Jason, when he's unmasked in every movie, he looks drastically different in all three. Yeah, he never um, looks the same. And, like, I get, like, you know, they the effects artists kind of want to put their own spin on it, and, the you know, they were crunched for time. But, like, the same guy directed two and three, and in one he has, like, almost a full head of hair, and the other one he's completely bald. It's a weird, weird choice. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to look so <laughs> different. And I get what you're saying, but, you know, with, you know, you want to at least make it, See, like I just rewatched uh, Dark Man, and then I watched the two sequels that I didn't know were a thing. And <laughs> even those two movies, that instead of Liam Neeson, it's Arnold Vosloo from The Mummy as Dark Man. They kept his facial injuries essentially the same. Like even though it was a much lower budget and totally different actors, and straight to video, and you know everything was different, but. They kept the the consistency of the look of the character, but they couldn't do that with Jason. But they couldn't do it with Jason. And these movies came out like one after another, year after year. Eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. I don't know. It's. <clears throat> I guess if you're gonna be covering up somebody's face, you know, maybe you can. Well, say and it was he's also a different hit in the face m- multiple times, and that's reshaped his skull. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also a different actor playing the character of Jason Voorhees for That's both of true. these films. I believe it wasn't until Kane Hodder took over the role that they had somebody consistently playing him for a yeah, couple was, of consecutive films. He was yeah, he's the only Jason. one to play him more than once so far. Right. We're hoping, hoping Derek Mears comes back if they ever make another one, when they make another one. But I'm really hoping they do because they left the remake open-ended in such a perfect way and I know Derek Mears says that he would absolutely love to reprise the role of Jason Voorhees. And he's an excellent like character actor as far as that stuff's concerned. I mean, he's just a really great guy to begin with. But... Well, Kane, you know, watching the, uh, the documentary to Helen Beck and reading the book uh, behind, uh, Unmasked, when he, you know, first brought the you know, something to Jason. It was just that sitting, you know, like, it's like, oh, you see Jason standing there and not moving, you know, just kind of like trying to stare down and intimidate somebody. And, you know, you see a guy standing there and he's like, that's not scary. That's, you could be looking at a statue or a tree, you know? And he just did that little chest heave to show Jason breathing. Yeah. And that brings so much life. Because up until that point, you really, all you saw from Jason as far as like, any type of reaction or, or you know, emotion in any way is him slightly tilting his head. Like, that's really it. Yeah, I will say Keen Otter, I think, and through no fault of his own, like, his four movies are probably four of my least favorite among, they're definitely bottom half for me. Uh, but he's definitely one of, if not the best people to portray Jason. And not to say some, some of the other ones are really good. I like Ted White from Park 4. Um, I like Derek Mears a lot. But, yeah, Kane really kind of brought new life to the role, I think, and obviously embodied it and should have been in Freddy versus Jason, even though, like, you know, I'm okay with what we got, but I mean, that was, that should have been his role. Well, especially with the demeanor between Kane Hodder and uh, Robert England to begin with. Exactly. Like they're, they're friends, and, you know, they have been talking about doing a film for years, ever since, you know, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, that little bit with uh freddie's glove at the end like which was kane hodder right yeah which was kane hodder and he was originally going to play like he got he was in talks to do 
Freddy Krueger because of his burns. That's right. Oh, wow. I learned something today. <laughs> in, um, in the original Elm Street, yeah. They were they were originally looking, before they wanted to, before they decided to do prosthetics, they were looking into actual burn victims. Oh, wow. But he was too big. Yeah. No, I could, I could see that. But I agree with you, Alex. He is my favorite Jason. He brought this menacing aspect to the character and consistency to the character as well, being that he was in multiple films. But uh, unfortunately, his films are my least... I should say the films that he's are he's in are my least favorite of the franchise. See, I have to what are watch and read. What are your favorites? Uh, do you have if you like? What are your top three? I guess if it's if you can't narrow down. Uh, I can, so my th- third one changes. Um, I love the four. It probably goes four, one, three, five is my least favorite. So I feel like five just shouldn't have happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, it definitely goes four one, and then it depends on what I've watched recently as to what that third one is. But uh, yeah, I, I'll I, have to go I, maybe two. Yeah, that, or, or you uh, know, actually I, no I three. That. I'll, I'll go Where? with three because you know that's when he obtains the hockey mask, and I feel like that's when Jason really becomes Jason Voorhees is in that third film. Um, I, I really like two and four as well. Um, and I love, I think. Four is probably my favorite, but a close second is part six. I think four is like the better film, but part six is so much fun. I wouldn't, not not exactly a horror comedy by any means, but like has has a lot more levity to it, but in a way that it works because it's the sixth movie at this point. Right. They start to, uh, especially after the fifth one, each film takes itself less and less seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I, th- I think six is like it's right on the line where it works. And then it kind of everything beyond that doesn't quite work for me. Right. Because six is where they actually, uh, Tommy, uh, resurrects Jason. Yeah. In a, in a yeah. Frankenstein. Even after with, he with had Mike. a dream of that going so terribly wrong at the beginning <laughs> yes. of the fifth one. Did it. He's like, Oh, it was just a dream. This is going to be fine. Everything's going to go great guys. What, what could go wrong? <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Do we have any closing thoughts on this character before we wrap this up? I think he's a, a an underrated slasher and a lot like what we talked about with Victor Crowley. I think, uh, like Alex was mentioning earlier, he's a sympathetic uh, figure. He was put in a position where, you know, through no fault of his own, like all this bad stuff happened to him. Not quite to the extent that Victor Crowley was, but, you know, he was... Uh, definitely a a victim of his circumstances and he didn't seek out to be evil or bad you know it's not like a michael myers who just snapped and like there was something wrong with him to begin with you know he's actually out there uh looking for vengeance for the people who killed him and anybody who comes into his again it's like a shark like if you don't want to get eaten by a shark don't go swim where the seals are you know if you don't want to get murdered by jason don't go to camp crystal lake or Manhattan, or space. <laughs> or hell. <laughs> or, or hell, yes. That'll learn you. <laughs> How about you, Alex? Um, definitely one of my favorite characters. Uh, I have a tattoo based on his look in part four. Um, like I said, I, I think comfort food is the best way to describe these movies for me. It's one of those things like, whether I'm, if I'm having like a good day and need to have a way to relax, or I'm having a bad day and need a, a way to unwind... I could basically put on any one of them at any point and have them on in the background and kind of, you know, mindless entertainment. And I mean that in the the highest 
compliment. Yeah, I completely agree with your description of that comfort food. Like it, especially being a horror fan, you pop in one of these films, you know what you're going to get. There aren't any surprises per se, but it's it's something that is so delightful on the palate that, you know, it keeps you coming back. You know, it's, it's just enough gore. The kills are just creative enough. It's, you know, the, this, the story, it's, it's enough of a story to keep you interested. But yet if you don't really want to pay attention or have the time to pay attention, you don't have to, because there really isn't that much of a story. But if you're looking for something with a decent story, you know, watching it consecutively gives you gives you that so um i just love these films like again like i can't really explain it it's just one of those things that i i watch this franchise and it's something that i go back to repeatedly um not because of the high kill count which again is very satisfying i think he's killed and this doesn't even include pamela Voorhees. 300 300 oh i i I, really it's up that high oh it could be more if you count everyone on the space station that's true yeah <laughs> um kane hodder has the highest on-screen kill count of any actor good for him the most <laughs> prolific on-screen killer of all time well that's something to aspire to there's still time for it yeah. <laughs> it's, it's never too late <laughs> um so yeah i think with that we're gonna wrap it up so. Uh, Alex, are you going to hang around with us for the third section, or are you going to call it a deal? Uh, I'll, I'll hang around. All right. Okay. So we'll get some more stuff from Alex. Yeah, so when we come back, we've got a new battle to throw down for you, which I'm pretty excited about. We have some science. We have some wine. We have some coming attractions. A lot of cool stuff coming your way. So stay tuned. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast.
Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking around and hanging out with us. So I hope you really enjoyed that Friday the 13th Jason Voorhees discussion. Again, one of my favorite horror characters. Definitely one of my favorite slasher villains. And uh, fingers crossed that we see Jason Voorhees again in the future. Yeah, we weren't sure we were going to do this character, but we decided to uh, take a stab at it. Oh! (laughs) So we have a new battle to throw down for you guys. So we're going to hit you with that battle music. And go. Have the can you dig? Oh, I'm not I'm even saying it right. Can you dig it? Can, can you dig it? You dig it? Uh, I see the what you did there. Battle of the Hotters. We have Victor Crowley versus Jason Voorhees. We also could have called it Hot or Not. Oh, that's <laughs> good too. We can put that as Hotter, Hot or Not, writing it down right now. Um, so the stipulations are anything goes to the death question mark because do they really die to the temporary do death any of these characters really die they just keep coming back as long as you hold them in your heart they're never really gone <laughs> <laughs> so yes Kane you dig it Victor Crowley Versus Jason Voorhees. So definitely hit us up on the social medias. Look for the poll on Facebook and Twitter. Sound off. Let us know who do you think would win and why. And obviously the location of this is in a swamp somewhere. You know, a a location that's familiar to both territories. There's there's no one-uppins on each other. No home field advantage. Yeah, that's what it's called. Home field advantage. I knew there was a word for it. (laughs) Home field advantage. There is none. And anything goes. So you can come up with, well, Victor Crowley finds a chainsaw. That eight foot chainsaw. Jason Voorhees (laughs) finds a trash can first, you know, filled with gross water and decides to try to drown (laughs) Victor Crowley in it, you know? Get creative. Let us know. Might be the other way around. What? I don't think Jason's going to try to drown anybody. He's like, whoa, whoa, even I'm He did when he was in Manhattan. <laughs> you haven't seen this yet, but he uh, it's, a, it's a pretty... The water in that trash can was pretty disgusting. It's like toxic sludge. Yeah, yeah. So he was trying to make it worthy opponent by turning the guy into the toxic Avenger. Yes. <laughs> He's like, Jason wants friend. He was like, oh. Jason, that be ugly one. <laughs> so we have some science and some wine to throw at you. So, Patsy. Oh, I have a, a good science fact this week. Um, keeping in kind of like the theme of, uh, because this is October and it is uh, creepy season. I'm going to go with uh, the fear of the number 13 to tie in with our. Uh, is our, it? Is it? One three a phobia? No, and I also counted there's not 13 uh, letters. Because if you remember the last one we talked about. Is the, it the phobia the f- of phobias? No, the. F- oh, no, no, no. The, the palindrome yes. phobia is 
I have a phobia, so it's like spelled the same forward and backwards, which is <laughs> That's kind, of, cruel. kind of a dick move. <laughs> uh, but the fear of the number 13 is called triskaidekaphobia. Um, it is an irrational fear of the number 13. So it could be, you know, it affects you in different ways. If you see a 13, like, you know, and this type of thing kind of uh, has permeated society. And it's one of the dumbest things I've ever I've ever heard of where in buildings there's no 13th floor. Like, or I should say there's no floor labeled 13. Like, it'll <laughs> go from 12 to 14. But if you have 14 floors, you have a 13th floor. Like, let's not delude ourselves. Like, for whatever reason, everybody's afraid of 13. Right, like and, some some hotels don't have room number 13s or like 113, 213 or whatever. Like yeah, they won't, 112, they won't label those. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. It's you like they said in Harry Potter, fear of the name of the thing, you know, is you know, just incites fear of that thing itself. So if you're not afraid of the number 13, then it has no power over you. But some people can't help that. <clears throat> and they have triskaidekaphobia. That's T R I S K A I D E K A P H O B I A. So, what's the phobia of phobias then? Is it just phobia phobia? I don't know. It's <laughs> the fear of. I think that's what. Um, what the hell's his name? Roosevelt? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. <laughs> that's what he's got. Yeah. <laughs> Phobia, phobia, and also spiders. So, for today's wine section, I was inspired by the upcoming holiday. So, you may be thinking, Ash, my kid's going trick or treating. I'm going to be raiding my child's candy dish. What wine pairs best with Halloween candy? I'm going to tell you. So. Milk chocolate candies, so like your regular Hershey bars, maybe even like your Three Musketeers that just did the, 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 the traditional Three Musketeers, pairs best with a Pinot Noir. Sour candies, like a Sour Patch Kid, pairs best with a Riesling. Fruity candies, like Skittles or Nerds, pair best with a Rosé. Caramel candies, you know, like those little, like the cowtails or the little caramels with the creams in the middle that you get. Oh, I love those. Those pair best with a port. Ports are a little bit sweeter, pairs really nicely with the caramel. White chocolate candies pair best with a Moscato. Peanut butter candies, like a Reese's, pairs best with a Cabernet Sauvignon. And peppermint candies, because you know you always have those houses with the little old ladies who hand out the little peppermint starlight thingies, the little mints. Those pair best with a Zinfandel or even Junior Mints. I love Junior Mints. Those actually pair really well with a Zinfandel as well. So I have this great little article that I found from CandyClub.com that I'm going to post on the website. And it kind of gives you just a little bit of information as to why each candy pairs best with each wine. And so, you know, if you're looking for something to pair with your kids' candy from Halloween after they've gone to bed... You know, look it up. It'll be on Facebook and on Twitter and and all that stuff. So yeah, eat your kids' candy and drink wine with it. <laughs> That'll teach them to leave their candy unguarded. Well, I mean, bastards. like it's it's like it's a tax. 
it's a tax. It's like I birthed you or I decided that you could live with me. So therefore you need to pay me in candy. Yeah, you take all the candy and leave them with like the raisins and mini. It's like yeah, like you pay you pay the rent, so they can have a roof over their heads. They go out and do the grunt work on Halloween, so you can have candy. Yeah, basically, that'll teach them. It's it works. (laughs) Seems fair, right? Like it's totally fair. fair. It's totally fair. And if you don't have kids, you can raid the uh, clearance candy on November first, like we do, and then you'll know what to pair with the candy that you have. Right. I love clearance candy. Yeah, that'll teach them. Oh, November 1st is the best. I I like to wait like an extra couple of days till it's like 70% off because I'm not picky as to what I take. Although <laughs> the last few years they've been clearing that shit out like really quickly. It's like, hey, it's well, October there... 30th. Everything's on clearance. Everything's no, gone. No, no, no. No, no, no. But like there are a lot of places that have already condensed their Halloween stuff. Now, Halloween isn't for another week. You know, have condensed their Halloween section to maybe a couple of aisles to make room for the freaking Christmas stuff. Yeah, it's utter garbage. Like they <laughs> shouldn't be allowed to do that shit. Uh, you know what I like to do if you have a ton of Halloween candy left over? I make, well, yes, but in a particular way. Uh, I make what's called candy pie, and it's exactly what it sounds like. You just take one of those pre-made pie shells, empty a bunch of chocolatey candy in it, and then bake it. And it all kind of melts together. And then you you let it cool, and it's this amazing treat. You can only have like the tiniest sliver, because otherwise you just get diabetes. But it's so good. Oh, that sounds amazing. That's enough to give like six people diabetes. <laughs> that sounds oh, that sounds amazing. So, Patsy, what do we have coming up? Well, we have some uh, events coming up. <clears throat> and uh we're actually gonna see Alex at a couple of these events. Um you know we Not have, if I can help it. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna be, you know, with the big sunglasses and a hat, like please don't notice me, please don't notice me. <laughs> so next week we have uh we have another guest coming on, but we're gonna we're not gonna spoil that yet. And we're gonna be talking uh Michael Myers because our next episode comes out on Halloween. Happy so Halloween. We have to talk about Michael Myers on Halloween. Um and that right after that is Rhode Island Comic Con. Like that immediately weekend. the following day, that Friday is the beginning of Rhode Island Comic Con, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We are going to be there. That is at the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the Providence Convention. Rhode Island Convention Center. Center. I thought it was Dunkin' Donuts something. It's the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the Rhode Island Convention Center. I thought it was the Providence. Well, anyway. You say that every single okay, week. Okay, so it's down in <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island. Down in so Fraggle Rock. <laughs> we're going to dance our cares away down at Fraggle Rock. Um, so we're going to be there. He might be dressed as a shark. I might be dressed as some fisherman that drinks Narragansett because uh, there's this some some guy's gonna be there from this movie with this shark. I don't know. We, Jason we might Statham. be. <laughs> they got Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah. Mario um, Van Peebles is there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun name. <laughs> uh, and then the week after that is the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. 
And that is at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton on November 9. Not no 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 rabble 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 rabble. That's how the place kept lukewarm. The thing. (laughs) But anyways, I believe a certain somebody has a certain short film playing at this event as well. So do I. That's I'm talking about you! Hooray! Oh, oh shit, I missed the setup. Uh, yeah, The Misplaced, which is my most recent short, is playing there. I also have a table with, like, a couple of tapes that Broken Horror Fan has put out. Amazing. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but The Misplaced, that is the film that features the exquisite boom operation. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it is. There have been reviews, or at least one review, praising the boom operation. Well, I, I just, I feel like that should be... You know, people behind the camera deserve a lot of credit, not just the director, but everyone else involved. Because without that best boy and the grip, what what do you have? Do you even know what a best boy or grip is? Grip is how hard you hold something. (laughs) And the best boy is... (laughs) And whoever has the strongest grip is the best boy. Well, that's whoever behaves the best, you know, and it's a cumulative thing. You don't (laughs) average it out. You, You, like, you get certain points each day. That's why... Christian Bale after Terminator Salvation, he was not the best boy because that, that whole thing about Because <laughs> he yelled at the grip. Yes. <laughs> so but yeah, that's how that works. Okay. But yes, I agree. Crew is very important. I could not make movies without them. And um what do we have after that? Oh, we have a super super mega fest. Yes, yeah, so super mega fest is the following weekend at the Sheridan in Framingham. That is November sixteenth and seventeenth. That's where so, the Warriors are going to be. Yeah, the Warriors are going to be there. Carmen Electra from Baywatch is going to be there. We're going to be there along with the Dorkening Network. We got ourselves a table. I almost so, said Tony Danza, but I almost did it like, hey, look, it's me, Tony Danza. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all your impressions get Travolta in the end anyways. So. Only if I do them for a long time. There's a band called Tony Danza Tap. Dance extravaganza, yes. <laughs> so that's a thing. I don't know if they're going to be there. Pro- no, but, but I will. <laughs> I will be because uh, <clears throat> the last time we went to Super Mega Fest, I won the Star Wars trivia contest. So I'm going to be defending my my championship uh, three years later. So <laughs> I mean, I'm sure other people have won in the in the interim, but uh, prob- probably. I, I feel like this is. I don't think they game. held it without you. That's prob- that sounds <laughs> that right. Was, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> that sounds that sounds right. And then uh, then we have concert. After that, we're going to see Ice Nine. No, that's not that weekend. The yeah. next weekend is like the twenty third. Well, uh, oh, well, we I have mean, our we not have, a cult meeting. We we also have a life and stuff that we do. So that's yeah, we fun. have our non cult meeting. It's, it's totally it's not, not a cult. cult. And um, then we have Thanksgiving and the Ice Nine Kills show. Yes. And then it, 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 it's it, Wicked Weekend. Right. That's what I'm trying to get at. Nobody really cares about our personal stuff. Yes, Nobody they do. cares that we're going to a concert and, then and that we're not the week a cult. After that, we have uh, a Christmas party. <laughs> Nobody. Okay, let's talk about Wicked Weekend for <laughs> two Kirk's seconds. House. Oh, my God. So, Wicked Weekend is December 6th, 7th, and 8th. That is down, I forget Stafford where, but. Springs, Connecticut. Yeah, so that's down in Connecticut. And I believe Broke Horror Fan's going to be there as well. As a matter of fact, we will. Um, myself and James, who's my partner on the BHS Venture, he runs Winter Entertainment. 
Uh, we'll have a booth there. We'll have a bunch more tapes at that one, including some new releases that'll be out by then. Uh, so we're excited for that. That show has a great lineup. It, it does. does. And I'm hoping that you'll have uh, a specific T-shirt that I really Oh, yeah, we will. Uh, we released a, a Monster Squad shirt, which is now available online at winterentertainment.com. Um, but we will have that in person in all sizes as well. All sizes? All sizes. All right. So I want an extra medium. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even know what that is? Yes. It's not quite a large. It's like discovering the meal between breakfast and brunch. <laughs> Second breakfast? We're going to have to talk about The Hobbit at some point. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Alex, uh, we want to thank you for, for joining us today. And uh, This was a lot of fun, as always. We always enjoy chatting with you. But uh, where, where can folks find some of your work? Because you also... Uh, Let's see, I can't read my notes. It says you're a pornographer. No, photographer. I guess that could be the same. But uh, <clears throat> where can folks find some of the, the work you've done or follow you on social media? Um, so basically all my online stuff is focused around BrokeHorrorFan these days, uh, which is BrokeHorrorFan.com. It's also just at BrokeHorrorFan on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's where you can find out about our new tape releases, plus just a bunch of cool horror merchandise. Um, my personal Twitter is at Alex's Legend. Um, I'll be I post about random crap there, but I'm making a new short in December, so I'll be updating, posting updates about that uh, on there. And you can see some of my existing shorts, including the Misplaced, which we touched on briefly earlier. You can find it on YouTube if you just search for the Misplaced uh, horror short film. Uh, you can find it there. It's four minutes. We have four minutes to kill. It's, it might be a good spooky watch right before Halloween time. I was going to say, it takes longer to type the name into the, the <laughs> search engine there. People have short attention spans, so I like to keep it short and sweet. <clears throat> so thanks again so much for joining us. You have an open invitation to join us whenever you, know, you want, whatever character we're talking about. Uh, if you're new to the show, Alex joined us uh, over the summer to talk uh, Quint from Jaws, because Alex, like myself, is a huge Jaws fan. And you have some Jaws ink, too, correct? I do. I have, I have the shark from the poster. It's like on my elbow. Yeah, that's He's actually named after Alex Kittner from Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You should have. Did you have a chance to meet him at Rock and Shop? I did not, but I've heard stories. Did and you guys talk to him? We did no, not. No, unfortunately, and what is, we did what not. What is his name? The actor who played him? Oh, Jeffrey Voorhees. Jeffrey Voorhees. Ah, bringing it all back together. See? But what I was saying is you you should have gone up to him at, at Rock and Shock and said, oh my God, you played Alex Kittner. My name is Alex. I'm named after you. And see what he said. <laughs> I should be like, are you my dad? <laughs> So anyways, kids, that's been our show. We are Throwdown Thursdays. Thanks again to Alex from Broke Horror Fan for joining us. You just got our name wrong. I just said Throwdown Thursday. You said Throwdown Thursdays. No, I said Throwdown Thursday. I have it recorded. Let's go to the tape. I said Throwdown Thursday. (laughs) I am tired. I am all hopped up on Benny's right now. That's Benadryl for, you know, kids who don't know. Um, And wine, which probably shouldn't be mixing, but... uh, it feels good. So anyways. 
So I think with that being with said, that being said, we, we will, will see you next Thursday. Thursday. all our sins. Drowned our mistakes. Fueled by the flood we pay. And blood, the curse of Crystal Lake. Yeah.